Hello and welcome to Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. Uh, Group Thinkers is the podcast for nonprofit marketers. And on each and every episode, we bring uh, a thinker, right? Someone who is innovating uh, the way that nonprofits go to market, innovating the approach, innovating the way to analyze, innovating the way to think about the challenges that nonprofits face currently. Uh, so recently, just as you know, we get into the the intro to this uh, this episode. Recently, I was uh, I was doing some research, or, or actually, I was I was down a rabbit hole on the idea and concept of trust, um, the role of trust, what role it plays in our society, what role it plays in relationships between two people, right? Whether or not that's a, a home relationship with your spouse or partner, whether or not that's an employer-employee relationship, whether or not that's the relationship uh, that you have with your dollars whenever you you know, make a transaction, uh, the relationship that we have with brands, the relationship that we have with media and that idea of, of social media, the trust that we have in society. And, and thinking about the purpose of trust and, and why trust matters in particular for nonprofits. And, and it's, it's topical because in this weird year of 2020, we need trust more than ever. Um, you know, COVID-19, uh, lockdowns, the, the lack of our norms in community. Right, because we're not meeting together at conferences as nonprofit marketers. We're not meeting together as much in rooms together. Uh, Zoom overload, cultural and societal uprisings, uh, hotspots, pivots, uncertainty, elections—all of these things create this storm. And and I and I found myself just feeling like one of the things that we're craved for as nonprofit marketers and as supporters of nonprofits is trust. So I was down this rabbit hole and, and I came across a 2007 article, an article from 2007 uh, that was published in the California Management Review. And it was republished then in 2015 by Nonprofit Quarterly. And it talked about relationship marketing theory and how it can drive donors or drive the public closer to nonprofits or further away. The principles of relationship marketing theory can impact the perception of trust, high or low, among nonprofits. And, and trust is a commitment. Trust is two-way. It's uh, a congruence of interest, right? So trust is, is key for us, and, and it's the topic of this episode. This is a, a special episode because I don't just have one guest. I actually have two guests for this episode, Andrea Howe and Carla Baldelli. Andrea is an author, speaker, and corporate educator. She is the, uh, the author of the Trusted Advisor Field Guide and uh, the founder of the Get Real Project, which is a, a consultancy that, that focuses on uh, the mastery of mindsets so that you can build better trust. The way that we think, the way that we posture and orient ourselves so that we can build better trust in our relationships, in particular in a, uh, a sales environment. Carla is the vice president of donor engagement for RKD Group, and she has decades of experience, as you'll hear, on the client side of the nonprofit landscape with Susan G. Komen, with American Heart, with um, Salvation Army, JDRF, and, and others. And so Carla joined RKD in 2019 to steer the donor engagement practice, bringing together consulting, coaching, um, analysis, and strategy to mid-major and planned giving areas. So on this episode, we, we talk about trust. And we talk about how trust is practice and how tr building trust 
can be better practiced by nonprofit marketers, in particular in the mid-major and planned donor space, but with massive implication and application to our mass market approach to acquisition, retention, and stewardship of donors. It's a really interesting episode, and, and Carla and Andrea do a fabulous job of giving real-life examples of how this stuff comes together. So uh, I hope you certainly enjoy it. Uh, do me a favor, throw us a follow. You can find us at Group Thinkers on both Twitter and Instagram. Also follow RKD Group. Uh, but with no other delays, let's get into it. Here's Andrea Howe and Carla Baldelli on Group Thinkers. Thank you, everyone, for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. Um, I've got two really incredible thinkers joining me for this conversation, and we're going to have a, 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 I anticipate, a fascinating conversation on trust and the role that trust plays in relationships and certainly in the nonprofit space. And so joining me uh, is uh, my good friend and colleague, Carla Baldelli, and Andrea Howe. Uh, hi, ladies. Hi. Hi. How are you both today? Andrea, how, how, how are things? That's, a, like, that's like the most loaded question of 2020. <laughs> you know, I usually answer that two ways. Today's no different, like in the grand scheme, or maybe it's not so much the grand scheme, but the little microcosm known as my life. Things are doing, going pretty well. Looking more broadly, I don't know, it's a little roller coastery these yeah. days, right? For all of us and for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I never I never liked roller coasters and it wasn't uh, it wasn't the fear of height. It was the can, do we have to do the this thing? Can we not just Yeah. The drop, you mean? Yeah, the thing. The yeah. G forces. Yeah, yeah. Carla, how's your day going? It's going okay. I think that is that my my word of 2020. It's okay uh, because you know we're just going with this 24 hours, and we're not thinking about what might, what ball might drop tomorrow. So we're just cruising on okay. Well, I uh, I'm thrilled that uh, that we have uh, an opportunity for the three of us to chat. We've we've actually come together and uh, and talked a handful of times and and become fast friends amongst the three of us, and so really. Uh, excited for this conversation. You know, one of the places that we we always start on our episodes of Group Thinkers is by talking about understanding the paths that uh, that we've been on to get here. So, um, Carla, I would love to start with you. Can you can you just offer our audience a snapshot of your journey, your career journey, uh, to to get to the place that you are now with RKD Group? No, thanks, Dustin. And I always loved it to share that with people because it was sort of an accident, actually, that I ended up in the nonprofit field um, to begin with. But I really loved it. And so I started my career um, in just the most fortunate way, working for the Susan G. Komen Foundation at the, their national office here in Dallas. And I was um, a major gift officer there and had a terrific experience and learned an awful lot about people and bringing authenticity into that role. And then from there, I've, I've really been at some wonderful organizations. So I, with a little bit of a, um, a jaunt with the Salvation Army and um, with working with an amazing board and people that um, I just really respect. And then um, quite a few years with the American Heart Association. And of course, when you're with an organization for a long time, you wear every hat. And um, so I wore a lot of hats there, but primarily in all of my roles, I've spent that time in major gifts or in philanthropic areas of fundraising that are more relationship driven rather than the more marketing driven. Um, um, areas of fundraising and so putting people first and how to inspire people and develop those relationships that last a long time have always been our priority and then the five years prior to joining RKD I was with JDRF as vice president of donor experience um, 
uh, working at their national office. And so I've just met some great people along the way and learned a lot of wonderful things, particularly from the boards of directors and our leadership teams and the great people in the field and the volunteers. So it's been, been terrific. And I think it'll inform a lot of our conversation today from my perspective anyway. And now I've been with RKD as Vice President of Donor Engagement for one year and one month. And I've had to start learning everything all over again. <laughs> Carla's uh, experience of, of coming to the dark side of the the professional services firm. Oh, it's the bright side. I always say it's the bright side. It's, it's a good side, certainly. <laughs> and, uh, and many times like a roller coaster. So, uh, Andrea, tell us a little bit about your journey and uh, the Get Real Project. So a vastly different journey in a lot of ways, with the exception of the fact that my career sort of feels like the path feels accidental also, <laughs> because a failed attempt at a career in theater <laughs> led to, long story short, starting my career out of college in the IT world. I was an IT consultant for almost a decade, first decade of my professional life. I've been in and around the consulting field for almost 30 years now, either this month is 30 years or it's 29, losing count. Um, but for the last 14, I, I left sort of the frontline consulting space and I've been immersed in teaching people in consultative roles all over the world, various corners, how to be extraordinary in their relationships by building trust with their clients. And I come that way by way of having co-authored a book called The Trusted Advisor Fieldbook, which is the sequel to a book that was written 20 years ago called The Trusted Advisor. Um, so that's, that's kind of like the, the short version. I, and the Get Real Project is something I created several years ago that is, it is a collection of kindred spirits on a mission to kick conventional business wisdom to the curb and completely alter how people work together as a result. I, I love uh, the aspects of being able to reflect and think that it's, you know, an accident. And so, you know, the, the path for sure, uh, many times it's an accident uh, that we end up where, you know, where we are. Uh, my path started with visions of being a news anchor uh, and a sports anchor, right? And uh, a, a happy accident was a conversation with uh, Trey Wingo from Sports Center, and uh, and he talked me out of that, <laughs> and then told me it would be a terrible idea, as talented as as I may have thought that I was, that it would be a terrible idea uh, if you know, based off of the path that I wanted to go. And so that shifted me into this world of always dancing between kind of marketing, sales, uh, strategy. And so uh, I've been able to wear uh, tweener hats in many stops. Uh, spent the, you know, the first half of my career in sports, working at different professional sports teams, where it's not just wearing multiple hats, but it's this tweener hat of, are you sales? Are you marketing? Are you strategy? Which one are you? And uh, and then joining uh, the team at RKD uh, some nine years ago, same thing, right? And uh, so I like I like the accidental part, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and a happy accident for us to all get to the place that we are today. Um, so the as we go through this conversation, uh, I have a vision of. Uh, how I'm seeing the two of you, um, and uh, and so this is uh, this is the way that I would paint that vision, Andrea. You, for for my purposes, you're my expert on trust, and uh, Carla, you're my expert on people. And so you know, I know that I know that there is far more to it than saying those two things, but I think that it's really important that we we think about them in, in those two aspects, and so. Um, the main reason why we're here today is talk about trust and its relationship to people uh, and certainly how that plays into what nonprofits are doing right now as we're recording this going into the last three months of 2020, the calendar year, maybe three of the most um, nervously anticipated months in nonprofit land in some time. 
And so let's start by talking about trust and its place in relationships. So Andrea, I want to start with you and ask you how you define trust uh, in relationships. Like just as a baseline, how do you define it? Is it is it a set of behaviors? Is it beliefs? Is it a, this abstract kind of attitude? Is it feelings? What the heck is trust? Then second, how, why is trust uh, necessary? Those are it's all great questions because, you know, trust is one of those words like love. It gets tossed around casually as though we all have the same definition and the same experience. Trust also gets used as a noun, an adjective, a verb. Um, so what the heck is it? I'd say the simplest definition is it's a relationship between someone who trusts and someone who's trustworthy. I would say more specifically because um, in my work, in our work, we focus on the trustworthy part because that's the thing you can really do something about. I cannot cause you two to be more trusting or anybody else for that matter, but I can cause myself to be more trustworthy. And to your question about is it, you know, behaviors, beliefs, attitudes, feelings, yes, is the short answer. We focus on both mindsets and skill sets of trustworthiness. And, um, and we can dive into any of those as you would like. And then your last question was, why is it necessary? Um, you know, in, in our workshops, we'll ask a question, what are the natural results when you're trusted by your clients? And it takes people just seconds to come up with a long list of things uh, from direct economic benefit, like, you know, referrals or bigger donations, to put it in the context of the world that you all live in, to indirect economic benefit, like faster decisions and, you know, better communication to um, things I put in an other bucket, like our lives, our work lives are just so much more fun <laughs> when it's present, when you have that sense of connectedness and relatedness. So I think it's absolutely critical. And I, I've never had anybody argue with that. The challenge becomes, how do you really, how can you be really masterful at it? That's the big question, I think. And, and then focus on trustworthiness. Because like you said, I can't make you trust me more, but I can uh, use mindsets and behaviors so that I am more trustworthy, right? Correct. Yeah, I can do something about me. I can't control you. And if I do it well, then I can create some level of improvement in our relationships such that we create trust among us. Yeah, that's so, it sounds so simple whenever we say it that way. It's not, it's not. So I'm just trying to like process that. I mean, that was, you said so much there. I'm just like letting it wash over me. Before you ask me any questions, Justin, I'm processing what Andrea said. I'll, I'll vamp for a second, Carla, and, and give you a second to, you know, marinate in that. What I, what I would say is that, you know, we're, so we're going to talk about the the mindsets and we're going to talk about this aspect of being trustworthy, specifically in the area of mid and major giving and the relationship side of philanthropy and fundraising, Carla, as is your expertise. Uh, but I will say that there is... A, uh, a bedrock of trustworthiness that every nonprofit should reflect on, especially after this year, whether or not this year has been, you know, boom or bust. If you're a first responder and you are seeing new donors come in organically, quote unquote, organically through your website, and you're seeing record numbers, there is some aspect of trustworthiness that is being defined by the person on the other side of that donation that they're looking at you and, and giving. So reflecting on that and then considering how you as an organization in your marketing efforts can be more trustworthy, that is a, an amazing topic and one, Andrea, that we're going to have to get to in a part two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I want to talk about the part one, which is when we talk about these kind of these um, these relationship, this relationship aspect of fundraising, Carla, uh, you mentioned your background as a major gift officer and even, you know, starting your career in that space and having grown, developed and uh, and mastered 
much of that space. Why does trust matter in the relationship between a major gift officer and a prospective donor? Well, because relationships happen between people first. And um, even if you have a belief system that an organization is doing what you think that they're doing, you start that relationship with actually um, looking at the people who are there or talking to a person or having a friend who's involved with that organization, either they're volunteering or participating in an event. And you only want to go back if you had a great experience, but you don't have a great experience if you were disappointed. And usually disappointment leads to something that happened that wasn't trustworthy, to put it in Andrea's words. Um, you really, I mean, I'm kind of rambling because you really did kind of throw, throw me a loop there at the beginning because that was so deep. So what does make it trustworthy? So the major gift officer and the volunteer or the potential donor, um, that relationship has to be one that is based on being trustworthy. The, the major gift officer has to represent the organization in a very trustworthy way, but they also have to honor the relationship with the individual that they're working with in a way that they as a person also are trustworthy so that the person they're talking to will be, um, you know, offer information about themselves so that they can get to the, the desired outcome of both parties. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, what it sounds like you're saying is um, as a major gift officer, you're not in sales. You're, right. you're not. And, and even like they're, there are probably these uh, presupposed definition of uh, definitions of sales. The uh, sales is historically looked at, uh, uh, looked down upon as a profession. And some of those definitions and biases that we bring into it creates this forced upon transaction versus everything that you're saying is about, no, 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 it's one-to-one, -one. get to know the person and, uh, and, if you're meeting each other with benefit of the doubt in a major gift officer to prospect relationship, you're seeing what's good for each other. You're finding natural ways to make that fit. That's an outcome of trustworthiness. Right. Yeah? Yeah. And I absolutely think so. And I think a lot of that starts with communication. So whenever Andrew was talking at the beginning about, yes, trust is all of these things, I think I would have had communication in that too. Um, because if you're not communicating and you're not communicating authentically, then people start making up things that you didn't say or that you did say or that they think you might have said um, because they don't know what they don't know if you don't tell them. And so it really is that two-way communication that is the, I think, the bedrock for trust in fundraising and um, that you can call me and talk to me about anything I'm going to be trustworthy in that I will tell you what I think and where the organization stands and then we can have an open honest conversation about it recently um, Carla you hear me share stories about Ziggy my nine-year-old daughter um, frequently mm -hmm. I'm gonna give you one uh, so Ziggy's nine she's in fourth grade and, and recently we had some uh, some girl drama starting to creep into our lives. Uh, just drama, friend drama creeping in and- Nine-year-old uh, drama. And, uh, and so, you know, it's funny though, Carla, because um, when she and I were talking about it, uh, it, one of the things that I came back to with her is talking about communication theory. Now, before anyone <laughs> starts to do <laughs> but the ideas of communication theory is that message sent and message received aren't always the same thing. Bingo. That's exactly right. You just said that communication, it, that there's two parts to it and there's message sent. So what I'm saying and my motives and why I'm saying it versus message receipt, what I heard and how I'm processing what I heard, it takes both people to be a part of that relationship so that the right, so that a message can actually be um, delivered from one to the next versus so-and-so said something and, and I heard this. Well, that, that may not have been what they meant for it to sound like, right? Or, or how they meant for you to receive it. And I think that that's a, that's a baseline of, of trustworthiness, right? I think so. I love that because if you're concerned about what they heard, then, then they are a part of that conversation that's important to you rather than only being concerned about what you're saying and putting out there. So it's definitely um, a two-way street there. 
Yeah, uh, I, I don't know that me drawing the diagram of communication theory specifically solved the problem, but I'd like to think that it helped. <laughs> Ziggy's better for it. She's much better for the conversation. She just might not know it yet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. I'd okay. love, if you don't mind, Jessa, I'd love to connect a couple of dots because yeah. I think you're both saying things that are so critically important, including back to your point about how sales is viewed. You know, we all love to buy and hate to be sold. Very few people, when they were asked as a nine-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up, excitedly say, I want to be in sales. And yet the reality is we're all in sales, whether your business card says sales or development or, you know, whatever. Uh, we're all trying to influence. We're all trying to have an impact. And I think this is where mindset impacts communication because how you see selling and how you see your objective is critical. And one of the things we teach is that in, in, a, in conventional sales, what you're taught is to convince somebody to buy from you. But in trust-based selling, what we teach is your objective is to help them make the best decision for them, period. Even if that doesn't include you right now or maybe ever. And that is a truly you know, let's say it's donor-centric or client-centric view that like a lot of things we're saying are simple to say and in reality hard to execute on. But when you're communicating from that place, like I am, I'm committed here to a great result. I'm not attached to a particular outcome. I really do have your best interests at heart. I would suggest it completely alters the communication. And Carly, you had shared in the past so many beautiful examples of that in the donor world. Mm -hmm. You said that perfectly. It really is about getting to the best benefit for everyone involved and having that concern for them. It changes the tone of every conversation. Um, often, whenever I'm, I'm talking with other major donor officers or with organizations that I'm working with, they'll ask, how, does someone, how do you get someone to take your call? Or how do you get someone to return your call? Well, it is approaching that um, conversation from a very different point of view, rather than we want to convince them of something, so I want you to call me back so I can convince you of this, um, to... Um, you know, a conversation around, I want to talk about you and the great impact that you've been making and really hear what's interesting to you. And whenever you approach it from that perspective and then you're learning and genuinely interested, it's the genuinely interested that sets it apart, um, then you can really, you know, really change the world together. That's also beautifully said. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And and I'm, I'm actually quite mesmerized by the space that we're kind of floating in on this. Um, and what I, what I want to ask is, are we good at it? But I don't think that that's the, good, that's the right question to ask. So, Andrea, why are we not good at it? Why are we, why are we as, uh, as professionals or in the case of, of sitting across from a, a client or a prospect or a donor, why are we not good at building trust? It's a great question. And I think if I'm going to simplify the answer, I would say two reasons. One is mindset. Like we've been, there's a lot of conventional wisdom out there that really messes us up <laughs> and conventional language and conventional training and, you know, focusing on, you know, sales goals and targets and always be closing and, you know, the things that get drilled into our, our minds and our hearts, quite frankly, which isn't to say that those things are taught with evil intentions or, you know, in the absence of trying to make a big difference in the world, but they just, they get us a little jacked up in the head. That's like the, the very technical way of saying it. They just, right. get us, they just get us a little messed up. So we have to be intentional about rewiring and rethinking. And like you said, Carla, you said it so perfectly. Like, what if you go into a conversation saying, my goal is not to close. My goal is not to get a donation. My goal is not to get something. My goal is simply to learn something. And if you that becomes your evaluation criteria, it completely changes the tone of the conversation. And it changes how it feels to be in conversation with you. So mindset is part one of the answer, mm -hmm. Justin. And I think part two is that in terms of our everyday practices, 
we have a tendency when it comes to trust building and relationship building to focus on the more rational or logical aspects. We define trustworthiness as a function of four factors. Your credibility, your reliability, what we call intimacy is an intentionally provocative word. It has to do with the level of connectedness or safety you create. And the fourth factor is the extent to which you really are leading from a place of other focus versus your own focus. And the credibility and reliability are the more rational and logical. They're the, the more comfortable. Um, the intimacy and low self-orientation, which is what we call it, are they're more emotional or psychological. And most of us haven't spent a lot of time studying that. And most of us don't really want to lean into that stuff because it's ambiguous and squishy and how do we do it? And, you know, it's just um, so maybe the short, short answer to your question is because of where our focus usually is. Yeah. Focus, training, the, some of the aspects of systematic sales or systematic development uh, that, that you bring up, you know, whether or not it's um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, <laughs> or <laughs> the famous scene. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, you know, and, and that systematic way of uh, approaching things of it being a numbers game. And, and yes, there is a logical side to it. But I think you're right. I think that uh, I know you, I know that you're right. Um, that the, emotive side and and studies on decision making would say that emotion actually outweighs logic and decision making more often than not and what a powerful uh, reflection to for nonprofits to consider in their own marketing materials right, right. many times we talk Carla with nonprofits about uh, the creative that they're putting into the marketplace whether or not that's on the mass or the mid or the major level being too self-oriented, too much organizational speak, getting too broad in the number of arguments that you're trying to make versus focusing in on, here's this one thing that you can talk about that illustrates your impact, that shows the problem that you are solving and how if the donor partners with you, you can better solve that problem. It became a two-way conversation because whenever Andrew was going through the four tenets of trust, the first are credibility and reliability. I think we all get fo we get focused and we get set in our ways on talking about reliability and credibility because that's easy for us to talk about. So that's when we get organization-centric or um, self-centric because we're trying to prove to people that we are, in fact, trustworthy rather than connecting and really allowing ourselves into that space of connectedness and intimacy um, and making it a safe conversation for people to come in with their ideas and with their thoughts and their questions because that makes us feel uncomfortable. We've gone out of our comfort zone and so we go back and we land into going through the 35 reasons why we're fabulous. The, uh, the, one of the things that I, I, I look forward to on an annual basis and, and actually this year they put it out multiple times is uh, Edelman's Trust Barometer. Right, so Edelman is an organization. They do uh, global research on trust, as a matter of fact. And uh, and in June they had an update. You know, at that point we're three and a half months into uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic, and uh, and their study showed that employer communications was the most trusted institution amongst their survey respondents, not the government, not the media not nonprofit organizations, employer communications. What they were hearing from their employers was the information that they trusted the most. And, uh, and related to that was that seven of 10 respondents were looking for updates daily. And about a third, by the way, were looking multiple times a day for updates. They craved more and more information. So I think that there's something to proximity and frequency that, that's a part of this conversation. Um, Andrea, did those things have anything to do with building trust in relationships? They absolutely do. And I think they especially are in focus for us all in this calendar year, given the things that we're dealing with. So I would map that kind of frequent communication to reliability, which I would normally teach as, you know, table stakes or the last thing to focus on because you'll naturally focus on that anyway. You know, we, we teach that a, a trusted advisor is somebody who's working all four dimensions of trustworthiness all the time, but 
you know, we're emphasizing the more psychological or emotional sides with one exception. And I think that is in times of crisis, when we are as human beings, our brains are desperate for as much certainty as we can find. The, the way we're physiologically structured, we hate ambiguity. And so the more frequent communication, even if the communication says, you know, we don't know, nothing's changed, but there's some degree of certainty in the the connection and the frequency of the communication. So now I can't even remember how I started my sentence, but um, you asked me, how does it relate? And I think uh, I wrote an article early on in, in COVID uh, about how reliability actually has outsized importance given our current circumstances. Mm. Yeah. Um. And Maybe I'm off on this, Andrew, but that, to me, just in layperson terms, is like showing up, right? You want the people that you trust in your life or that you look to for information or you look to for trusted, um, you know, guidance, you want them to show up. And by sitting back and just being quiet and not showing up, it leaves people very vulnerable when they're already feeling, you know, like they're, they're rocking back and forth, you know, because we're in a stressful time. Yeah. Early on, you know, this to draw it even closer to home, uh, just showing up or, you know, the kind of the blending frequency and familiarity. Mm -hmm. Early on, you recommended to our executive team at RKD Group and then further to our clients an aspect of just showing up. And that was the, the practice of wellness calls. Mm -hmm. So you might want to talk about what, what a wellness call looks like and why it's important, because I think that it actually takes that idea of the frequency and the familiarity and, uh, and then brings it very close to home for our nonprofit listeners. And it's so interesting, Justin, that you ask about the wellness calls, because if you remember all, our own executive team had to kind of get out of their own way in that particular situation too, to be vulnerable enough to call to talk to someone about themselves. And we had the same pushback from some of our nonprofit organizations that we work with. And the idea is you pick up the phone and you call someone just to check on them, to say, you know, I was thinking about you today. You're so important to um, the impact of our mission. And we just wanted to make sure you were okay. And to have that connection, that opportunity, and people are always surprised that you just call to say hello and just have a conversation. And I think I thought about this a few minutes ago, but um, whenever one of you was saying something that was brilliant, so I just sat and listened. Yeah, it was only. Um, it was all, well, I don't know. I think it could be either one of you, but I think time. I think that's what we don't have today. And we are barraged with so much information all the time. We're so busy. We're so metrics focused. We're so transaction focused that we don't spend the time that we need to build the relationship that actually leaves the trustworthiness. And that's what the wellness calls did was it really forced us to be in a position to call and talk to people and spend time in that little bit of chaos of I, I don't have a script I don't have a bullet point to talk about to really allow someone to say you know I'm really worried about the fact that I I can't get out and go to the store and I don't know if I bought enough cat food you know people just sometimes need the op and that's a true story we actually had in our wellness call someone say that and um, if you think about it that was something that was really worrying and um, that very very kind woman who received that call and she was delighted that someone cared enough that she could actually say that and that changed the just the trajectory of that relationship yeah. there's so much juiciness in what you just shared <laughs> Carla do you mind Justin if I make a couple of links please go for it I, I'm gonna try to be brief about it but first of all I love the concept of a wellness call and in fact um, I have been having workshop participants for a number of years. They're typically consultants, but not always, do a practice over lunch in a, you know, back in the days when we had in-person workshops, remember, a gazillion years ago. Over I lunch- I remember those. I fondly remember in-person. <laughs> the task was to call a past client with no agenda other than to say hello and find out how they are. And truly no agenda other than to say hello and find out how they are. And I think that's easier for us to do in, in the context of COVID. I think it is no less important for us to do all the time. 
because it says so many things that are so distinctly different from the messages that most people in the client role get, which is I call you when I need something, when I want something, when I'm going to pitch something, when I'm going to ask you for something. There's some sort of work associated with it as opposed to I'm calling you because I'm leading from a place of caring, which is the ultimate demonstration of low self-orientation. So I just, I love that as a Yes, as a business practice and doing air quotes, but also as like a human practice, like, like make meaningful connections in the world for no other reason than to make meaningful connections. And because of the paradoxical nature of trust, that's one of the, that's one of the fascinating dimensions of trust to me. Very often, those calls, when they genuinely are agenda-less, meaning no business agenda, will lead to more business because people naturally want more of you. They value dearly and sometimes desperately that connection. So I, I also wanted to call out the paradox because um, there's also the, the paradox associated with some of the things you're talking about are a willingness to be vulnerable yourself, not just invite other people to be vulnerable, but to lead with, you know, being vulnerable, being open, taking a bit of a risk. And that's critical to trust building. And it, it seems to defy logic, right? We think if we're going to build trust with people, we have to present a polished, articulate, professional front. And I would never suggest that you should be unprofessional, but I do think you have to be personal and be real and be willing to show up as a human being. So, all right, I'll get off the soapbox now. No, no, I wasn't it's, quick. No, I love it. Just keep on going. I think that that's so true, though. Um, I just think about what everybody's been going through um, through these last few months, and and people are missing connection. They're missing people, um, and they're missing the opportunity to feel vulnerable. And I found in so many ways, just in my own personal life, when people are calling me, or actually they don't call me anymore they text me and they are, are projecting something out there and then I have to respond to it right, right. they want me to know that they're thinking about me and now I have to respond back that oh that's so nice of you rather than just picking up the phone and allowing something organic and magical to kind of um, to just happen and so it puts us all in this very interesting perspective or this position where we've got to respond and help the people who are reaching out to us that are going to feel better about themselves if they sent the thinking of you note <laughs> you know and um, and so rather than just picking up the phone and this is so wild because I had a friend of mine who did this so you know, like, like everybody else, we've dealt with different family challenges over these last few months. And um, one day I got a call from a friend of mine who I don't talk to very often. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is she calling for? I was happy about it, but I thought, what does she need? That was the first thing I thought was, what does she need? And I picked up the phone and she really was just calling to say, hi, what's going on? This is what we're doing. What are you doing? And after about five minutes, we could really relax into that conversation. And it, when we got off the call, it just meant so much to me um, that it didn't require anything of me other than just showing up as myself because she chose to just call and show up as herself. And we had this really meaningful conversation that actually was very helpful. And in most cases, people are calling or sending a note that I have to come up with something for them and answer for them. And so it makes it a much more stressful um, conversation. And I think that we've gotten that way as a society, not in the last few months with COVID. If COVID has done anything for us, it's taken down some of those walls and those barriers where we are connecting as people again. But the world has gotten to where we're spending so much time moving so quickly. We all think nobody really wants to hear from us anyway. I don't want to bother them by calling them. But the, the truth is that people really want to connect with each other. And that's where trust happens is when we open that door and we allow that to happen, whether it's with a donor, whether it's with a client, whether it's with a friend. Um, it's such a wonderful thing to have a conversation with someone and get off and go, oh, that felt really good, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, you know, um, eons ago, it was receiving the letter or the handwritten note. Yes. The specialness that came around that. And I do think as we have devolved into notification land, 
<laughs> and being always connected and on video calls all day, et cetera. Now there is something refreshing about a phone call uh, that, you know, now more than ever, right? Um, Carla, um, there has been a trend over the last 20 years of the reduction of households, the number of households dropping off uh, that are giving to charitable organizations. About 20 million, and that was a count as of 2016, so about a 13% decline in the number of households giving. So the what's you know what you've seen in the individual giving space is fewer households, uh, but you know, more dollars given. Um, you know, three point um, about three point one billion dollars in individual giving in 2019, and that was up over the previous year. So you have fewer homes uh, or households, but more dollars, and so there's this um, weight that nonprofits are are putting on trying to systematize their marketing efforts to uh, what we would call mid-level or mid-major donors. And uh, sometimes, as we've talked about, systems, um, if not properly balanced, overtake the humanity in our relationships, right, in our connection. So I think there's something about that. Uh, but, but because this is a space that you live, uh, of talking to nonprofits about balancing systems and connection. How outside of one hiring Andrea to come in and do a workshop? Yeah, you. there's that. That's probably that's probably check number one. That's going to be the, that's going to be your first answer, and then second, obviously, uh, you helping consult and coach uh, as well. Uh, I get to say that part, but outside of those two things, or in addition to those two things, how can nonprofits work with their major gift officers? to build more trust with this population of people that's supporting their cause that's becoming increasingly more support, uh, important along the way? That's a loaded question. And the first thing I thought was, like we started with a loaded question, so here we are at a loaded question again. Um, you know, it really makes me sad that we've come to this place where people are put in segments and we, we make decisions for them, we make assumptions about them, and we move forward in a way that someone's just part of a giving band um, rather than remembering that they are, in fact, humans. And so based on this conversation, obviously we have to do that because people need, we talked about at the beginning, people need information, especially from organizations that they believe in. And so you've got to keep talking to them and you've got to talk to them in, in a way that's very personal, but you've got to offer them the chance to talk to you too. And I think that's really where it becomes a unique relationship. Rather than talking at our donor populations all the time, we need to talk with our donor populations so that they know that their voices are, in fact, important. And we learn so much when we have those conversations. We can't talk to everybody um, because there's so many people that are choosing to give to these really great causes, but we can talk to some of them and talk to them as often as possible and offer them an opportunity to talk with us. I'm giving them that phone number and responding when they call or when they send an email, actually have a person respond to that email. If you're going to send a survey, actually act on the survey, make the survey about the person that you're um, talking with because their opinion is important, not about the parking at the last event they came to back before we all got, you know, quarantined in our homes. So we're just taking the communication and thinking of us talking at, but talking with, and um, that it's always a two-way street. I think that's so important. Andrea, anything that you would add there? Can you repeat the question? Because when you were saying it, I was like, oh, I'm so glad Carla's getting this one. <laughs> I'm thinking I so wish Andrea was getting this one. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, you've got, uh, Andrea, we talk about there being historically a pyramid to donor populations. So mm -hmm. people that are a larger quantity giving a smaller number at the base. Yeah. Right? And the more that you flow up, it's the reverse of a sales funnel. You've got right. less people giving at a middle amount and the fewest amount giving at the highest amount, which would be major gifts and plain giving in our space. 
and there's been a come an increasing importance, especially on that second band. Uh, if I were going to put numbers around it, many nonprofits would uh, define their middle tier, that second tier or mid major, starting at around a thousand dollars, right, Carla? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so for those that are giving it a higher amount, it's a it's a very valuable customer segment. Sorry, Carla, to use marketing terminology. On I know you know I hate that. But but it's it's such an it's it's a valuable segment, and as that bottom tier gets smaller or more narrow, fewer people, right, twenty percent less, it puts more of an importance on keeping that next tier of customers and bubbling people up from your bottom tier into your second tier. And so that's a lot of marketing jargon and, you know, thoughts around moving people through a funnel. Trust has a place in that. And I don't know that nonprofits always understand the role that trust plays mm -hmm. and tactically how you can put in place mechanisms or trainings, et cetera, to help improve the trustworthiness, which can help sow into relationships, therefore retaining those donors. Yeah. So how, how, how would you advise uh, a, a nonprofit to build better trustworthiness with their donor population? So um, I'll give you a couple of thoughts because um, that's a big question. But you're, what you're describing for me in the pyramid is very similar to, you know, what we encounter when we work with a global consulting firm, for example. And there, you know, the pipeline and the CRM system and the targeted accounts and the, some call them diamonds, some call them platinum, some call them, you know, they have all of different names, right, for the, the premier clients. And I... I have a love-hate relationship with that, like I suspect you do for sure, Carla. I mean, I think on the one hand, it makes good business sense to know who's likely to benefit most from your services. Um, but I guess the bottom line is I think it's a both and. You know, a CRM system uh, in and of itself, a pyramid, is not gonna build trust. And you can compromise trust incredibly by getting hyper-focused on, you know, your targets. And I'm putting that word in air quotes because let's add that to the list of words I think we should just obliterate from our business language. I don't want to be your target. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not appealing to me. Um, uh, so what am I saying here? So I think it's a combination of uh, you know, I have a CRM system. I use Nimble happens to be where I, you know, track when was the last time I was in touch with so-and-so and when there's a possibility of a new deal, I put it in there. I'm not demonizing the existence of those things. I also have an annual sales target. But I guess the difference is I don't lead with that. I use those things as a stay in touch mechanism, but also as a way to gauge whether or not my more personal reach outs are being effective and whether or not I and my team are truly making a difference. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, you know, a little bit of the structure and the word used before Justin was balance, balancing that with, you know, I like to do random reach outs, just reaching out to somebody because they crossed my mind uh, and not letting the second thought that's immediately there, oh, he's retired, there's no point not letting that dominate me. Right. But I love that. Anyway, and because, by the way, you never know. But even putting that aside, what matters more is the instinct to connect and letting that be the driver as much as what the CRM system or the pyramid tells you you should do next. I'm not sure if any of that made any sense, but that's it what I thought. I thought it made sense. <laughs> But, and here's how I would say, like, if I think about the, the journey that we've been on for the last 45 or so minutes chatting, you know, we started by talking about uh, focusing on trustworthiness. And, and I feel like where we're landing is the best thing to do in focusing, if you want to focus on trustworthiness, is to emphasize connection. That doesn't mean de-emphasize 
our ability to track or to set goals, but it means to emphasize connection uh, along the way. Is that, a, is that a balance between our trust and our relationships? I, I think so. I, I like that. And I would even add, makes it so, it's simple now that you've said it. Thank you for crystallizing my last five minutes of rambling. I would take it one more step and I would say emphasize meaningful connection. Right. I would add that too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's going back to what Andrea said earlier about being intentional. Yeah. And being very intentional about how we show up in those people's lives. And I would add um, continuing to talk to people. I, one of the things I saw um, from some of the clients that um, I was working with back in, when COVID first started was this all of a sudden they went dark right? They went silent. They weren't talking to the people who've been supporting them for all these years. And because they felt that was the nice thing to do. They were all, they did it from good intentions that they did it because they felt it was the best thing to do. But what it said to the people that weren't receiving any communication from them was that something's wrong, right? You left them in a place to figure out why they weren't hearing from you. And um, so if you trust people enough to communicate with them all the time, continue to trust them enough to talk to them. And whenever things are going rough and then trust them to make the decision where they have whether they have the capacity to respond or not yeah totally agree meaningful connection uh feels very akin to something that uh, carla and i talked about quite a bit of uh humanized personalization right adding in that mm. humanity um so ladies as we wrap our conversation and we knew going into this that we could talk for days <laughs> getting warmed up. I mean, we could, now we could really probably talk about some good stuff. Which just means that there will be, uh, there will definitely have to be a, a part two. Uh, but, you know, I, I am always interested in finding out like what's on my guest's horizon. And uh, because I am a, a West Wing nerd, I like to phrase that in the what's next category. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, uh, Andrea, you know, for the Get Real Project, um, what's next? What, what's coming? What's next? And then how can folks get in touch with you? Uh, thank you for asking both of those questions. So first of all, my team and I have been scrambling for a couple of months to try to figure out how do we make meaningful connections inside of a workshop construct virtually. And, you know, I think we're starting to figure that out to some extent. Um, and now uh, I've had a real passion for a long time on creating what I'm going to call like some special focus deep dives into trust-based relationships, like creating a program just for women, for example, creating a program called the inclusive trusted advisor like how do you really take your relationships across differences whether it's gender race any other difference to a new and meaningful level so now that i feel like we've sort of gotten some basics under our belt for how to make a difference inside our virtual construct my energy is starting to shift towards more adventurous things like that so stay tuned because my thinking is that those might be, we haven't historically done, you know, like open enrollment programs, at least not much, but I think that may be on the horizon as well so that people can benefit from not just getting to know people inside their own organization, but from others too. And getting in touch with me, I give you my mobile phone number. I give it out all the time. Hardly anybody ever calls me. <laughs> you should feel free. They're connecting from a trust of a, from a trustworthy base. Right? <laughs> they don't try to answer your call. I am based in the U.S., so one uh, area code two zero two nine zero six zero four eight five, or if you prefer. Uh, an email, you can reach me at Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A, at thegetrealproject.com. I'm also severely limiting my social media to try to maximize my sanity, but you can find me on LinkedIn. So I'm publishing articles and doing a lot of things out there. I think if you just search for Andrea Howe, uh, you'll find me. There's a lot of great stuff that Andrea has on her blog and content that's going into LinkedIn. And so definitely important things to pay attention to. Carla, on your end, uh, uh, you know, what's next in the donor engagement space uh, for RKD? Meaningful connections. That's <laughs> next. 
We are just marching forward on steroids, if you will, around meaningful connections. There's never been a better time for organizations, for nonprofits, for um, for-profit businesses to connect with the people that care about them and help them see how they can help the people that matter to them. Um, so we are working hard and furious to be able to do that through donor engagement, through meaningful mid-level and major gift programs. Um, and really helping nonprofits actually have their staff trust them more. I loved how we, you asked that question about, you shared the information from Edelman about the employers being so trusted. I think that's also a really key piece in major gift fundraising is that the, the major gift officer really trusts who they're working for so that they can represent it authentically. And so we're really working on that front to make sure that that's coming through so that we've got um, some role infrastructure things that are trustworthy for those major gift officers as well. And then Andrea, like you, we are jumping into the virtual world and head first because nonprofits are really having to rethink how they um, engage with the people that care about them. And so we are um, really going fast and furious into the virtual world with virtual events and not just turning the camera on someone and having putting it on Zoom, but how do we do it in a meaningful way where people can still connect and feel leave feeling satisfied that they actually got to see someone that was important to them or make a new friend. Um, and in the meantime, be inspired to continue giving to the organizations and changing the world with them that they've chosen to be a part of anyway. So we are um, doing all those things faster and uh, more enthusiastically, but a little bit differently. So we're excited about that. So that's the what next and how can you reach me? Well, I feel like I was dared on our truth or paper conversation to put my cell phone number out there, but I'm happy to do that. I love that. I'm in fact, one of our virtual events the other day, the keynote speaker gave his cell phone number to everyone who was participating. So you can reach me at um, my cell phone, which is 469-583-9898. Or um, by email, which is kbaldelli, that's B-A-L-D-E-L-L-I, at rkdgroup.com. And I'm also available on LinkedIn and um, have more content coming out there as well. Awesome. You two are two of my favorites. And it's fun for us to get to have this conversation. And I can't wait for the, the second part. Uh, we'll have to do a check-in on our trustworthiness get into the, the right put ourselves put ourselves out there careful what you ask for justin <laughs> just like get it as the saying goes all right you two thank you for the Thanks. time and i look forward to catching up soon okay okay so there's the episode with andrea and carla and i told you it was going to be unique i told you it was going to be interesting and man, we had a we had a lot of fun recording this episode uh, because it felt like three friends uh, sitting and chatting. And and actually, over the last few months, I've, I've gotten to know Andrea uh, fairly well. And, and having worked alongside Carla for the last year, it really was like that in many ways. Uh, and so, some takeaways that that I thought uh, are important to reiterate. One of them is uh, that you know I can't make someone else trust me more, but I can orient myself to be more trustworthy and that focus on the mindsets that I bring to be trustworthiness. How important is that in sales, in marketing, in the way that we communicate with our donors? And so, so many times, you know, I think creatively we focus on tactical elements and, and less about strategic elements. And, and I find great power in the strategic through line of trustworthiness. Uh, and, you know, so I love that orientation that that Andrea brought and that Carla camped out on. And that to me was the, uh, one of the, the biggest takeaways among many. So, uh, so thanks for checking out this episode. Uh, and you can check out our entire library of group thinkers episodes on, uh, on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this right now. Uh, special thanks to the RKD group team that helps put this episode together, help pull this, the pieces of this together. Uh, there's some fantastic content around relationship building, trust building, and how to engage with those mid-major and plan giving donors, uh, including content that's been written and created 
by Carla Baldelli at rkdgroup.com. So be sure to check out the blog there. You can find stuff from Carla and others. And uh, just like I mentioned at the top, be sure to throw us a follow and uh, let's chat on uh, either Twitter, or Instagram at Group Thinkers. So uh, thanks for uh, again for checking out this episode and uh, we'll see you next time. See you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.